0: Welcome, everybody. Okay, this sermon, you notice the title, Some Donkeys Are Smarter Than Others. You say, who is this sermon for? This is for any one of us who is confident of our opinions? That sometimes just know that we're right? Sometimes we just feel that we're right. We are skilled in being decisive. We make happen what we want to happen and have a great deal of confidence in the paths that we take. You know, the fact is, those things would be qualities that the world says that's awesome. You know where you're going. You know what you want. But I can tell you that my worst decision making has happened when I have had the greatest confidence in my decision making. The stupidest things I've done have been when I was absolutely convinced I was right. Some donkeys are smarter than others. Turn over to Numbers 22. Numbers 22. Starting in verse 1, the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan opposite Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. So Balak, leader of the Moabites, enemies of Israel, saw the victories that Israel had and is afraid. Because he knows his time is coming. So he comes up with a plan. And halfway through verse 4, it says, So Balak, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was in Pethor, great names, near the river Euphrates in his native land. Now, I'll give you a little insight. Balaam was a prophet of God. So he would speak God's word to the people. So the enemy king says, hey, I'm going to go send people to God's prophet, and I've got a plan. And Balak says this, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land, have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. Okay. So you kind of got the basic framework of what's going on. The enemy king realizes God's people are coming to deal with him, but he says, this is not good. I'm going to go to God's prophet, and I'm going to try and convince him to put a curse on God's people so that we can defeat God's people in battle. Now, if that's all you knew about the story... You just got to imagine for a moment, what do you think um, Balaam would reply? You know, okay, somebody who opposes God coming to you and says, please curse God's people so that I can win the victory. Hey, what do you think about that idea? You know, fairly black-white, right? Pretty cut and dry. Um, No! (laughs) No! No, I'm a prophet of God. Why would you even think that I would curse God's people? You know, your your mind kind of imagines all different responses. Like, get out of my face. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I believe? Like, how dare you? That's insulting that you even thought I would entertain that possibility. You know, there's just all these responses that you think will come next. But that's not what we find. Verse 8. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. So what? What Balaam say? Um, I don't know. Uh, let me pray about it. Let me let me go talk to God, and let's see what input He gives me. Verse nine. God came to Balaam and asked, "Who are these men with you?" Now, Balaam gives an answer. He like tells them the story. Hey, there's this King Balak and he's the leader of the Moabites and they sent people and they're trying to hire me to put a curse on God's people. You you know, God does this many times in the Bible where he asks people questions. You know, kind of like after Adam and Eve had eaten uh, from the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they're Na- they realize that they're naked and they're afraid and they hide. And God's like, Where are you? You know, God asks us questions not because he doesn't know the answer. The question is much more than that. When God said, Balaam, Who are these people you are with? Balak asks, or Balaam answers this question. God knew who they were. The question was, what in the world are you doing? Why are you having this conversation? This is a no-brainer, Balaam. What are you thinking? Verse 12. You know, Balaam gives his explanation, and then God says this. Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they're blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials. Listen carefully here. Go back to your own country. For the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Whose fault was it? The Lord. He won't let me. So the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come. Balak sent other officials more numerous and more distinguished than the first. You know, as soon as somebody can tell where your heart is really at, they just start upping the ante, they just start raising the price. Balaam said, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I cannot do anything great or small beyond the command of the Lord my God. Really? Then why are we having this talk? You know, when you give the theoretical right answer, but your heart's not really in line with the theory, you know, the prophet of God really sounds like he's on board, but why are you still talking? Verse 19, now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but only do what I tell you. Brings me to point number one. Is your faith priceless? Priceless. I say, what do you mean by priceless? Well, there's nothing you would give your faith up for. There's no path that's more attractive. Any sacrifice is worth it. Any commitment is worth it. There's no sacrifice too great. My faith is... The most important thing I have. The fact is, every single one of us is called to answer that question, not just on the day that you were baptized, when you said Jesus is Lord. But every day, every week, every month, every year, every new stage of life. When you go from high school to college, you still got to answer that question. Is my faith priceless? When I graduate college, I start working full time. Is my faith priceless? When I get married, is it priceless? When I have children, when I become an empty nester, when I become a grandparent or a great grandparent, is my faith priceless? Satan can pay any price. He's the god of this world. He has all the resources at his disposal. And the theoretical right answer is not good enough. Because what's on the inside would trump the the theoretical answer every single time. If you go to the next slide, you know, you think through some of these things that... Was in the dialogue. He said, "Who are these men who are with you? What situations going on in your life right now would God ask that question to you? Maybe it's going to sound different. Why would you commit yourself to that? You know, sometimes we start having integrity on worldly commitments." Oh, I need to be a man of integrity. Okay, I will flake and sell out on my faithfulness to God because I said yes to this worldly endeavor over here. Really, what's true integrity? Are there any situations you're involved in right now where God is knocking on your door saying, Who are these people? What is going on? What is this situation? And we want to give God our explanation. Believe me, he already knows. That's not why he's asking. Just don't go with him. Don't do that. Scriptures are very clear on many things. Seek first his kingdom And his righteousness being committed to the kingdom of God is not a fitted in when it's convenient lifestyle. That's not seeking first. It means you schedule your life around it. Righteousness does not come when it's easy. Righteousness needs to be priority in your life. Scriptures are clear. Sometimes the Lord won't let me. My Bible talk leader, I got advice. My Bible talk leader said it's not a good idea. My spouse won't let me. My parents said no. My team leader said no. You ever done that? You said no in a situation, but you didn't own the no. You wussed out. You know why? Because it wasn't your conviction. So you you wanted to make the right decision, but you didn't want to point, or You didn't want to disappoint the other person. So you gave the credit for the no or the blame to somebody else. So you can go see I did what's right. Not really. You said no, but because somebody else said no. The Lord won't let me. Let me tell you something. Satan knows where our convictions are truly at. And the theoretical ones, the ones that we say, God won't let me, or somebody else won't let me, now there will come a day. And, uh, you know, we get that in the last point. Understand this one: allowing you to go... Is not God agreeing with your decision? Sometimes we push and we push and we push. Why? Well, why can't I? Well, who says? Was well, it that clear? We're like a boundary pusher. We go, see? Nobody said no. God didn't stop me. See? I mean, if God didn't want me to do it, he would have stopped me. No, he won't. When we push against what God has made clear, there comes a point in time where God says, all right, not because he feels good about it at all, but he will not rob you of your ability to have free will. He will not. If you want to do what is wrong, God says, all right. That's not permission. Him not intervening and stopping a bad decision. You ever done that one, too? Why is God punishing me? Wait, hold on. God not stopping you from making a bad decision is somehow God's fault. Well, if God loves me, he wouldn't have let this happen. Wait, if God loves you, he would have robbed you of your free will to stop you from making all sinful decisions? No, God's not that way. God says, okay, eventually you say this is what I want to do. God said, All right, I'm not going to stop you. Not a good idea, but I'm not going to stop you. That doesn't mean he agrees. Doesn't mean he sanctioned the behavior. Get to point two. Story continues. Point two is listen to the messenger. Now, here's where it gets really exciting. Okay, verse 21 says, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. An angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in hand... It turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam. And he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey. (laughs) Oh, yeah, this is a good story. You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand. I would kill you here and now. Oh my goodness. We gotta just pause there for a moment. Okay. Balaam's pushed the agenda. God was clear. Balaam's still like pursuing his course. He's hanging out with the Moabites. God is angry. So he tries to get his point across. So he starts kind of hemming him in. And you know what life's like when you're you're on a bad path and you start feeling like the walls are closing in? Maybe you say, I just feel like I'm being controlled. Yeah, a lot of times God's narrowing the walls. You know, he gives the donkey a little wiggle room, path out to the field. You know, that doesn't go well. Now, you know, he's going through the vineyard. So it's a little narrower. Eventually, God says, I'm going to make it so narrow that you've got an angel of the Lord with a fiery sword and rock walls on both sides. Now what are you going to do? And the donkey just sits down. says, not moving. And you are furious. Why? Because I feel that I'm right. I know I am. I mean, God's been hard to deal with on this. He won't let me. But hey, He gave in, so it must be okay. And now you got this donkey that's just giving me all this grief. And all of a sudden, the unexpected starts speaking. And the donkey's like, hey, what are you doing? Am I not your donkey? And what's Balaam say? Yeah, and if I had a sword, I'd kill you right now. Verse 30, the donkey said, Am I not the donkey that you've always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, you haven't. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, verse 31, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Oh, to let that donkey live, but not you. You know, God finally brings some clarity to the situation. And Balaam is allowed to see what his donkey could see. Go to the next slide. There's a question for us. Who can influence your direction? And I don't mean when you are 50-50 on a scenario. Remember the sermons for for those of us that are stubborn, opinionated, confident of our direction. We know that we are right and we feel that we are right. So with that in mind, who can influence your direction? Who can challenge your thinking. What does the Bible say about it? You know, the thing is when, when you start stepping outside of the will of God, you come up with some crazy justifications of why your path is a good one, even when the scriptures are clear. Who might be the donkey in your life right now? Is there somebody that you're mad at? Because they've been talking to you about changing the course of your life. And you don't want to hear it. Why do you keep bugging me about this topic? just leave me alone, let me be, let me be on that path. Maybe because that person sees what God sees, and you're the one who's blind. You know what's amazing about this is, okay, now, now, I mean, he sees the angel with the fiery sword. I mean, he's speaking to his donkey now the angel of the Lord speaks to him and is like, dude, you are blowing at the donkey smarter than you are and more righteous. I would have killed you and let the donkey live. Like, okay, now surely Balaam gets it, right? Okay, listen to the cheesy verse 34. I have sinned. He starts good. I did not realize that you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, it, it just gets worse. Listen to this one. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. Wait, what? He started so good. I've sinned. And the next. Sentence probably true. I did not realize it. But now you do realize it. What's the problem? After all that. Okay. So God. If. You're displeased. Why is there an if? Why? You ever been in one of those situations? The walls are closing in, you're boxed into a corner, the scriptures are speaking, people that love you that are speaking, and you're like, oh, yeah, I blew it. So, if, but if you still don't think that's a good thing, then, okay, I'll make that change. You're like, what kind of lame response is that? He goes with the Moabites. Speaks like three or four oracles. He ends up kind of giving these cheesy things. They're not really an awesome blessing. They're not really a curse. And then they get to the last one. Because, see, Balak's getting kind of frustrated because he's not really doing what he wants. You know, when you're conflicted, you have a hard time really enjoying the path that you're not supposed to be on. And then he gets to the end and he just pronounces a curse on the Israelites. And Balak's like, man, I am done with you. I would have taken care of you, but you've really blown it. So you go, oh, okay, Balaam made it. Wow. See, Balaam." persevere well uh go to the next slide it's point number three this is going to be a short one but necessary not all messages are good go to revelation chapter two see because you could read this story and go see balaam hung in there he didn't curse god's people So he was victorious, even though he was weak. He made it through. Well, Revelation chapter two, starting in verse 12, says to the angel of the church in Pergamum, "Write These are the words of him who has the sharp, double edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas. My faithful witness who is put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Balaam had quite an impact on Israel. He did not curse the Israelites. But what the Bible says he did is he said, Oh, you want to get them? Have the women go sleep with the men. And just get them to eat food sacrificed to idols. They'll follow those gods. I know the Israelites. So he didn't disobey the command to not curse them. And we do not know if he directly taught this, if he indirectly taught this. The Bible gives us nothing between numbers and this. But there were profound consequences from Balaam's life. And God gives us windows to our heart of where we're really at. You see all this situation? Wow, I really thought I was doing good. Then this situation happened. Now, it didn't produce the response. The heart was already the same. This situation just revealed the heart. Balaam's heart was revealed. All throughout this process with Balak. Why are you having this conversation? Why are you hanging out with these guys? What are you doing? The Lord won't let me. God already made it clear. Don't go with them. Yeah, but I need to get more input. Okay, you guys stay here. God, what do you think? I mean, it was just step after step. He has the conversation with the donkey. The donkey saves his life. He speaks with an angel of the Lord, and he's still like, okay, so um, if you're displeased, I won't go. You know, not all messages are good. Sometimes we believe Satan's lie that what goes on in our life is only about us. There is no such thing. Every single thing that we do is a part of family. It's part of our community. It's part of church family. You say, no, I'm a loner. doesn't matter. Your lonerness affects your family. We're all connected. Do you feel connected or not? Everything about who we are has an impact on people, the world, the church, the community, our neighborhood, our workplace, our classroom, everything. But Satan says, no, it doesn't. If you have a bad day, it only affects you. And Balaam had a bad day. And Israel paid a huge price. We're going to close over in Numbers 25. Verse 1. So this after Balaam and Balak have parted ways. Balak's frustrated with them. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. You leave. Scriptures continue. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women. Who invited them to the sacrifice to their God? The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. God says to Moses, You got to deal with these people. In verse 6, then an Israelite man brought into the camp a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phineas son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But those who had died in the plague numbered 24,000. The Lord said to Moses, Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites since he was zealous for my honor among them as I am. I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him I'm making a covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of peace of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. Now, uh, next uh, slide, please. Final point, have zeal for God's honor. Now, I certainly don't think we should go and buy a spear and kill those around us who are living in sin. On the other hand, Phineas stopped the plague because he took a stand. Say, what a contrast between Phineas and Balaam. You got Balaam trying to get paid, ignoring the commands of God, hanging out with people he shouldn't hang out with, doing things he ought not to. Then you got Phineas, who sees what's going on, and he deals with it. Say, Phineas, God says that guy, he had honor for me. I'm making a covenant with him. You know what's amazing is you. you We we could look at that and go, oh, I can't believe he did that. How many more thousand people would have died? Until somebody was willing to take a stand. You know, you take a stand for righteousness, you'll be accused of being judgmental, narrow minded. Because the world says, hey, everybody has the freedom to define their truth. That's not what God says. God says, no, I define the truth. Truth is what God says it is. It's his standard. It's his way. It's his word. So where do you need to take a stand in your life? Where are you being more like Balaam than Phineas? When you uphold God's honor, you save souls. Because there's people that are watching. Oh, they may not even go to church right now. This a minister. I said to Bible with a lot of people. And I cannot tell you the number of times I hear, hey, why haven't you gone to church? Well, I grew up and I knew these people that claimed to be a Christian, but I watched how they lived their life and they were just like everybody else I knew. Sometimes people come to church because they say there's something different about how they live their life because they don't live or talk. The way other people live or talk. There's something different and I want to know why. See, being a part of God's kingdom is not this cool social club that we attend when it works. It's his kingdom. And he sets the parameters. And we need to do all we can as members of that kingdom, to uphold his standards and his honor. Remember who the sermon's for? Well, I'm pretty convinced it's for all of us. Because there's all times where we're so confident in the path we want to take. And that is where the greatest dangers lie. So I ask you, who can influence you? Who are you allowing to influence you? Who can change the course of your action? You know, for Balaam, angels couldn't even do it. And a lot of people died because he was unwilling to be soft-hearted even to God. Some donkeys are smarter than others. We're going to have a chance to respond to God in our life situations. There are situations we're all in right now where we're having the same conversations. I don't know where you're at in the journey. Maybe God's saying, wait, what are you doing? Who are these people that you're with? Why are you committed to this? What is going on? And you got that chance. Every step you go, hmm, I don't know. I mean, God didn't step in and stop me, so I guess it's okay. There's a price that's paid every time we take another step down the path. God loves us. God will never rob us of our free will. We need to be men and women that make good decisions, our feelings and our thoughts, hey, they're all important. But God sometimes needs to send messengers to us to change our course. Say, if there's a course correction that's needed, do yourself a favor. Don't leave today without making a commitment to change. Do not say, oh, I'm going to go home and pray about it, and tomorrow morning we'll see how it goes. Prayer is always a good thing, but sometimes we say that and we don't even intend to go pray. We're just trying to get that messenger off the hook. You know, as long as you're out there away from me, then I got the freedom. Now, there's some important decisions that need to be made. And I'm praying for each one of us that we'll be men and women that have deep conviction for the honor of God. And that our life, our decisions and our lifestyle will reflect the honor of God as we choose those paths together. Let's stand as we close in a final song.